Hi, this is the Glencairn Podglass, celebrating 20 years of the Glencairn Glass, the world's favourite whisky glass. Hi, my name is Gordon Brown, and today on the Glencairn 2020 Podglass, our guest is the Senior Advisor to the CEO of the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, where he advises on industry strategy, policy, communications and membership. He began his career as a journalist writing for Newsday. He then spent 10 years working at the heart of the US government on Capitol Hill. And prior to joining the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, he was Vice President for Media Relations at the US Chamber of Commerce. In 2019, he became the 66th inductee into the Whiskey Magazine Hall of Fame. He is a master of the quake and co-chair of the US chapter of the prestigious Scotch society, Keepers of the Quake. The French government inducted him into the Ordre du Mérite Agricole for his work promoting cognac. And in 2002, Governor Paul Patton made him Kentucky Colonel for promoting bourbon. Can I please say hello to Frank Coleman? Hey, Gordon, how are you? That was good. That, that is some CV, Frank. <laughs> well, <laughs> I should you know. say it's some resume. That I should be more appropriate than CV. Well, no, no, CV's fine. <laughs> CV is fine. I, I look at this as a job interview. <laughs> <laughs> and how are you? How are you this fine day? Uh, it's great. Here is beautiful. It's been hot as heck. Uh, thank God, uh, there's a swimming pool, and um, you know it's uh, been. Uh, uh, 90 degrees Fahrenheit plus for 30 straight days. Yeah. Just for the listeners to kick off, can you just give us a little bit of background on your own career and your kind of journey to date, just, just to start us off? Sure. Um, I began as a journalist, as you pointed out. I, I, I wrote for a number of uh, daily newspapers in the States uh, when I came out of uh, college. And uh, then I um, my, my roommate in college was actually... Um, a, a guy who was working for a well-known pollster and uh, uh, he invited me into politics. And so I went to work for the Senator from New York in Washington, uh, first in Albany and then in Washington. And uh, so I, I got into politics that way, spent 10 years on Capitol Hill, variety of, of uh, positions, um, uh, a press secretary, chief of staff for a Congresswoman. Uh, and then, uh, and then I was recruited uh, to go to the Chamber of Commerce uh, for this position, uh, Vice President of Media Relations, which was basically the spokesman for business, which is where I was situated on the um, uh, ideological spectrum, because yep. uh, you know, everything is ideology these days. <laughs> but, um, um, uh, and then, uh, um, they were looking for a, a, a senior vice president for public affairs and communications at the Distilled Spirits Council. And it was being run, they had recently hired, uh, about a year before they had hired uh, Admiral Cressy as the CEO. And he was a dynamic guy and uh, uh, sort of made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So I went to the head of the Chamber of Commerce and I said, uh, you know, I've got this offer on the table. Actually, I, I said no a couple of times. Uh, you know, I was, I was happy to be the spokesman for business. And uh, he, um, he, he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So I went to uh, Tom Donahue and said, uh, you know, there's this offer on the table. It's a ridiculous amount of money. And, 
and uh, it's a good industry and I love the, I love the products and uh, love the people. And uh, so Donahue said, well, if you were going to go for, uh, you know, a smaller amount to another trade association, uh, I would uh, be mad at you. But uh, he granted me, granted me leave. <laughs> so uh, anyway, and I got there and it was, you know, the Distilled Spirits Council was just beginning this was about 2001 and they were just looking at ways to get spirits back on television here. Uh, um, uh, you know, the networks were taking beer ads like crazy spirits had been losing market share. And, uh, so one of my, one of my first responsibilities was to get spirits back on uh, the networks. And so that, and, um, cultural acceptance was a big deal. Um, uh, you know, getting people to uh, um, uh, recognize the cocktail and premiumization and all of those factors that have grown so big uh, over the past 20 years. Um, and, uh, and spirits been taken off t TV in the US? No, 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 they were never taken off. Uh, there was never a law that they couldn't advertise. It was the networks. Back, if you go back to the repeal of prohibition, they were just so happy to be back in business that they didn't bother. They said as a, as a, a social responsibility measure, uh, the companies all said, well, you know, we, we won't go on television. But at the time they said that, that was like 1948, there were maybe two, two television stations. You couldn't see that that was going to be the central um, point of mass communication uh, down the two, two decades down the road. And so, and the beer guys did a wonderful job and uh, they, uh, they had all these great beer ads in the 70s, 80s. So the beer guys gobbled up market share from spirits. Um, you know, the light beer came into being um, and uh, their, their ads were great. Anyway, the point is, is that there was never um, a, um, a specific law banning spirits ads it was just it was actually the, the spirits companies themselves that as a social responsibility measure chose to be off the air and uh and it was a mistake and they regretted it uh, almost immediately in in the in the 60s when when uh beer was all over television so uh so we went up uh the admiral and i um went to new york we met with the networks uh piece by piece uh, uh step by step we got back on the air and so that was a, a big accomplishment it was um it was part of the um this whole cultural acceptance issue uh for distilled spirits you know distilled spirits were seen as hard liquor now uh, there used to be a big company in the industry called seagram's yep. which owned Chivas brothers and some of the others and uh they eventually got gobbled up by um uh what uh, diageo and pernod ricard uh, sort of split them and um uh, Seagram's uh, pushed to get back on the air on some local stations because we have networks and then there are local affiliates uh, here in the States. And so they, um, they got back on a, a station in Corpus Christi, Texas with this great Crown Royal ad. Um, and, um, uh, you know, the Distilled Spirits Council uh, has a code of, of responsible marketing. Uh, it's the, the gold standard in American business for marketing products. Uh, you know, for responsibly, and uh, uh, people copy them all, uh, copy it all the time. And so the they, uh, after Seagram's went on the air, they got uh, the council to uh, repeal the self-imposed ban that was in the uh, the code. And so by lifting that, then it was you know 
it, it was sort of, uh, it was slow going to begin. Uh, we sort of, in the beginning, we went up to New York and we met with the networks sort of hat in hand. We said, look, we're really responsible. Alcohol is alcohol. If you take beer ads, there's no reason not to take spirits ads. Uh, and it's, it's a long story, but in the end, uh, we, we were successful. At the same time, we were running a campaign called Simple Pleasures to bring back the cocktail. Um, uh, you know, there, there was very little coverage of distilled spirits in uh, mainstream publications around the country. And so we, uh, uh, we, uh, um, uh, we developed this notion of, uh, you know, making a cocktail as a simple pleasure. Uh, and the women's magazines began to, to go uh, to, to publish it and uh, publish cocktail recipes. And, you know, the, um, the stemmed cocktail glass, the martini glass, you know, has elegance. It's, um, uh, you know, it has romance, you know, it's all that thing that you don't get from holding a bottle of light beer in, in a saloon. And then uh, Sex in the City, the show, uh, was all about the Cosmo. And uh, so, and we worked with bartenders and mixologists um, uh, in the, and, and the food, foodies, uh, to, uh, you know, do pairings. And um, we sort of set a, a template at the top and then the companies came in and did their own marketing under this campaign. And so it was pretty successful. Uh, we gained back a lot of market share uh, starting uh, by about 2004, we began, began to grow again. And uh, by, by after the recession, uh, we have had 12 straight years of market share growth. Yeah, there's been a big change in the spirits world. So just just tell us a little about a little bit about the history and what, what the Distilled Spirit Council of the United States does. So the leading distillers in the U.S. market um, have come together. It's 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 basically a merger of three previous separate groups. You know, the Bourbon Institute and a couple others, and uh, it is a, a lobbying organization. Uh, uh, we um, uh, we uh, work at the federal level. We work at the state level because in the states, because of the repeal of prohibition, each state has its own sort of sets of rules and regulations. So that creates an enormous challenge for the companies and for the entire industry. And so we work very hard. I mean, at the state level, we work at the federal level, and we work at the international level. In fact, um, uh, I uh, co-managed a marketing program for that we still do, but uh, uh, um, uh, funded by USDA, the, the Department of Agriculture, now funds uh, for American spirits exports. We started at about $40,000 a year, and we did a couple of, uh, in emerging markets, we would do promotions. I would take uh, distillers over and... Uh, um, and we would, you know, sometimes we'd go to trade shows, but we, we found that uh, targeting, just as we did in the U.S., we targeted media as much as, uh, you know, in the early going, just to get people to, because they had no idea what American whiskey was. So, they, you know, they, when you said whiskey in, uh, in India or China, they, they immediately thought, thought scotch. So um, it was important to educate. It was basically an educational effort. And it was pretty successful because uh, until this latest uh, uh, tariff war with the EU, uh, we were, uh, you know, we were growing like gangbusters across the globe. And in the EU, we're up to about $800 million of American whiskey exports. And that's gone down by some 30% or, you know, some, uh, you know, 
because of these tariff wars, which is a big issue for us and, and for the Scotch Whiskey Association and everybody else, because there's basically two fights here and, and we're, we're totally collateral damage. You know, it's, it's a fight over uh, aluminum and steel and it's a fight over air, uh, airplane subsidies. You know, we're just, we're just being hit with that uh, on both sides. And um, so many of our companies have products in every category. So, so take um, uh, Beam Suntory. They own Jim Beam Bourbon, but they also own Laphroaig Scotch. Uh, same thing with Diageo. Diageo's Bullet Bourbon uh, and 28 Scotch distilleries uh, in Scotland, or maybe more now. I think they have another one coming online. So, you know, and Pernod Ricard is another, it's a French company, but it owns Chivas Brothers now, it owns uh, Abelour, uh, and uh, they, um, you know, they've got a lot of American brands as well. And one of the things that's noticeable from, from based in Scotland is that the American whiskey, bourbon American whiskey, the, the growth, I, okay, at the moment there's a bit of, you know, hiatus given what's going on, but yeah. the growth has been phenomenal. I heard one stat, it was only a few years ago, that Washington State, just Washington State now has more distilleries than Scotland. Uh, in, in terms of uh, the growth of distilleries. Yeah. Okay, so that was, a, a, that was another program that, uh, that I, I had my finger in was this um, uh, affiliate membership for small distillers. Uh, we saw when I first started working, there were probably a couple dozen. Now there are probably 2,500 to 3,000 across the country. So it's, some of it is because uh, we have been very successful in uh, modernizing the laws and regulations in the states. So uh, that's part of it. The other part of it is the, the rapid rise in popularity of distilled spirits. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, basically a, a gold mine, a land rush. Uh, and um, um, uh, so I, I think that those, those all contributed to the growth. Uh, the ease of licensing regulations in many states. Um, the, at the federal level, we worked hard to get the, the federal uh, regulatory authorities to um, improve their process for licensing distilleries. So, um, uh, you know, uh, we're really a victim of our own success. Well, what are the biggest surprises you've faced? What, what, what kind of things have come along that you might not have seen coming or just have surprised you most? I think, I, I hate to go negative. Around the globe, there are anti-alcohol advocates. And some of them are completely dishonest about the science of moderate drinking. And I, I'm just pretty shocked by that. And... Um, the notion, there, there are literally hundreds of studies that say if you drink in moderation and it adjusts for all the factors um, uh, that, you know, you're going to live longer, you'll have less heart problems, you'll have less dementia, you know, and, and, and so, but you have to drink in the moderate band. Once you go over that, you then, you know, and, and uh, they just, um, some of them, uh, you know, they'll take one study that's flawed on so many levels and they'll just uh, pedal that around uh, uh, to um, willing regulators, you know, and, uh, you know, who see their, their goal as uh, uh, stepping on the industry. You know, in, in Scotland, you have the, um, the taxes, um, you know, that, that ratchet up every year. And, uh, you know, that's one of the biggest issues we face is the taxes. 
and and but we've been we've been successful in the states in getting them reduced in many cases, and I think that only in, inflames the anti-alcohol advocacy groups uh, that, that we've been so successful. But I think the other thing when talking about that it makes a lot of sense. I think though your comms, you know, that's what you've been doing doing throughout your career. The biggest difference probably I see from, you know, you now to maybe 10, 15 years ago is those sort of stories, social media just uh, is fuel to those sort of stories. It must be difficult in your position to fight some of that stuff because it is just so prevalent now. It's just everywhere. Well, my policy always was never let a, 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 a false or a bad study go unchallenged. And so that was uh, that was my philosophy for uh, 19 years. And so we rolled up our sleeves and we went after these uh, these guys. And uh, um, perhaps uh, the best known was the uh, the Casa study um, uh, back in uh, 2004, where uh, they said uh, you know 25% of alcohol is consumed by underage, and they had just made a blatant error. Uh, in their in the, the calculation, they had uh, uh, and 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 so we went back at it and and we hammered them and uh, they went away for about two years with their tail between. <laughs> Looking at forward from a spirits point of view in the states, what 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 are the trends in in this? What's happening to to the market within the U.S. at the moment? Okay, well there are a couple of things. Uh, one is uh, direct to consumer. Um, because, uh, you know, we have a very complicated regulatory system uh, with, uh, you know, it's basically, it's, it's, the U.S. is basically, as you look at it, it's the EU before there was an EU. So there's 50 different markets, um, and um, uh, you sort of have to treat it as such, uh, you know, when you approach this. So uh, each state has its own rules and regulations about this. Uh, but we've made some progress. Also, with the COVID shutdown, uh, the cocktails to go has been a tremendous boom uh, to uh, restaurants and um, and and uh, uh, nightclubs and bars that have been forced to sh shut down. It's it's been a lifeline. So uh, when you order your Chinese or your Mexican or whatever, you know you you can get a margarita uh, now delivered to your home. You know, pick it up at curbside, uh, depending on the state. So, uh, and, and, and uh, some states are starting to make that permanent or extended. And um, uh, so about uh, 30 states now allow it. Um, and uh, uh, it's been good for, it's been a lifeline to the restaurants really. And, and uh, let's see, what, are, what other trends? Um, uh, premiumization is always a trend. Uh, you know, people want to drink uh, uh, better, but less. So less but better is the, is the mantra. Yeah. And, and that's been very good for the companies. And on that front, one of the things, whether it's American whiskey, whether it's Scotch whiskey, whether it's whiskey from Japan, one of the things you, you can't help but notice is just the success of that single spirit. Yes, there's been the rise of gin. Yes, there's the continued success of vodka. There's, there's premium rums, et cetera. But in that area, I've asked this question a number of times and it's interesting to ask, why? Why is whiskey so successful? What, what, what is it about it that makes it so successful? Well, there are a number of things. Number one is flavor, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, they've got, you've got such varied flavors. And you have the purity of the product. In the U.S. market, 
um, uh, like American whiskey, you can't, uh, you know, there's no additives. So it's basically to be a straight bourbon, you're just water, grain, and yeast and aging in, in, in barrels, oak barrels. Uh, although people are beginning to experiment with other types of wood. Uh, and uh, this, you know, it's basically the same for Scotch whiskey. There's reg uh, rigorous uh, rules guiding the production, number one. So you know what you're going to get in the bottle. Number two is they have this, um, as we discussed, the, these amazing backstories yeah. that people are interested in. So it's flavor, it's um, purity, it's um, um, uh, backstories, you know, heritage. Heritage is a key piece of this. Um, and um, uh, I think that's that that's yeah. leads to success. We're kind of celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Glen Cairn Blast. So it's kind of two decades since it hit. And we're selling, what, 25, 30 million around the world. And you know the glass. And obviously, you know the family. You know Raymond Davidson, who was the, the right. man who originally came up with the idea. Again, the question is, but why is it working? Why, why is the glass selling? What what, what why is that glass successful? Well, I think number one is the the, the feel of it uh, in terms of the the weight and you know the the hand, okay. But it's also the nose. I mean, it's perfectly designed to to appreciate whatever spirit, you, whiskey, cognac, whatever you're drinking, you can put it in a Glencairn glass, and uh, and 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 you know, it, it just it just works. No, that's brilliant. Well, Frank, that has been excellent. Thank you very much for your time today. That, that's been brilliant. Um, I'd just like to say on behalf of Glen Cairn to say thanks very much for, for coming on to the Glen Cairn Podglass and hopefully we can catch up at some point. Absolutely. Come and see us. Uh, uh, the, the greatest thing in my career was developing, uh, being part of the development of the George Washington Distillery. This was a, a whiskey we created working with the SWA. We brought over uh, Bill Lumsden, um, John Campbell, and Andy Cant, and they he worked they worked with Dave Pickerel, and we created this whiskey on the George Washington. It was a a hundred percent malted barley on the George Washington Distillery um, uh, stills, and so that was just a, I mean it's a it's a great project and uh, probably the best of my career. Well, I'll look forward to a dram of that if I get myself over the other side of the pond. That's great. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Glencairn Podglass, celebrating 20 years of the Glencairn Glass, the world's favourite whiskey glass. 